creeds are not made up by men. They're taking their language almost entirely exclusively from the scripture. Hey, you guys, welcome to another episode of Unrefined. This is Brandon here and with my co-host, Lindsay. Hey, guys. And we have a guest on the show who needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him one because he's worthy of it. It's Doug Van Dorn, and I'm so excited that he's here. And we have a uh, great show in, in store for you. Just kind of exploring some topics that I think are really big on Doug's heart that uh, maybe he doesn't get to talk about a lot, but he can on his new show, which, by the way, I want to pitch his new podcast, Giant Steps. If you're not listening to it, you're not listening to podcasts, man. It is awesome and dynamic, and it's it's just enough head knowledge to get you thinking, but it's still got enough heart knowledge to get you a warm heart, and that's what I, I like about his new podcast. So, hey, Doug, how you doing? Thanks for that, Brandon. That's very nice of you. I'm doing awesome out here in Colorado. In Colorado, yeah. God's country. Well, uh, so how are your guitar lessons going? I mean, I, I heard on your podcast, you're learning to play some Dan. You're not going to give us a concert on one of your podcasts? That's not going to happen anytime <laughs> soon, but uh, yeah, no, Come on, Doug. Old, learning the old Travis pick and, and trying yeah. to figure that out for the first time in my life. And that's been kind of fun. Well, what's so crazy is I'm so new. I had to like look up on uh, the, the Google what that even was. <laughs> oh yeah, man. Like this... Yeah, Kenny C is telling me that this is something that they just never use anymore, but you go back and listen to 60s and 70s uh, folk music, they use it all the time. Which is what I've been listening to a lot of lately. You know, not only Dan, but the other day I, I listened to Joni Mitchell. I listened to oh, one yeah. of her greatest hits, man. And and uh, anyway, I, this is neither here nor there, but I've been really doing a lot of study and research in the Laurel Canyon, and that's brought up all those good artists from the Eagles to the Mamas and the Papas to... Oh yeah, you know, jo Joni Mitchell and Carol King and everybody Joni actually sang a duet with Dan. Did you know that? No, yeah, I didn't know that. On the Innocent Age, they sing a duet. That, that's cool. Yeah, I've always loved him, but uh, you know, since you brought him back into my purview through Kenny, I've I've been listening to more of his music. Yeah, but I'm still a Stevie Nicks man. I mean, it, it, ever <laughs> since I was a teenager, I know she's so. Christians have a fit about that, but she's probably casting <laughs> spells. But man, her voice is just man; it's it's just amazing. So, I am a Fleetwood Mac, Stevie Nicks man. Yeah, but, one of my uh, one of my kids would love you for that. Really? So this is a different daughter or a different? This different is a different son? daughter than the one that likes Rush. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, I liked yeah. them because they had a male named Lindsay. Yeah, there you go. Then, then I grew to like their music later. She cast a spell yeah. on Lindsay, and then uh, she uncast <laughs> in recent years. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Man. Yeah. Well, cool. I'm glad everything's going well. Um, so let's, uh, I, I don't even know what really direction to take, so I'm going to pray real quick over our podcast, and then we can get into, we can start out with what we kind of wanted to talk to you about. Uh, so, Doug, will you pray for us real quick? Yeah, sure. Lord, thanks for... Uh, all these opportunities we have to be able to um, get the word of your word out um, yes. to people through the internet and, and just what a privilege it is and a responsibility. And we just ask that you bless our time here and the things we say and talk about, they'd be edifying, glorifying to you in Christ's name. 
Amen. 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 Yep. 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 All right. Well, uh, I've been reading through your lesser known books, which I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna leave reviews on Amazon, by the way. But uh, uh, they need I them. Finished... Yeah, the creeds especially needs it. All right. Well, that's the one I finished. I haven't finished Solas, so I don't want to go deep into it because I have this this. Maybe I'm weird, but I ha I don't like to interview people if I haven't read their books. I just think it's not courteous. I don't know if I'm weird or what, but uh, I, a lot of podcasters will just skim through stuff, and you know, it's like, no, I want to read the book and get it and 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 retain it and stuff. So I've read through creeds and and kind of skimmed through solas. So, but uh, let's just start with the creeds and what what motivated you, Doug, to to write that book. Well, I mean, I suppose the most immediate answer is that it was Reformation Month. Uh, I think it was a couple of years ago. Maybe it might have even been last year. I don't remember. Yeah. And uh, from and every once in a while, I'll do that during October. I think I did that actually for the Five Solo Book too. And that was I did that on the 500th anniversary of the of Martin Luther nailing the thesis to the Wittenberg door. So that's yeah. probably what it was. And I decided, well, you know, I could break this into five weeks and that would fit perfect with October and kind of finish on uh, Reformation Sunday or whatever. So that that's what it was. But there's certain things that you want to talk about at that time of year if you're in my circles. And, and yeah. a lot of guys will talk about the confessions of faith, but I guess I wanted to make it a little bit more basic because I know that uh, God's given me a little bit of a platform with folks that aren't necessarily in the reformed circles that I'm in. And so I thought that the creeds would be a good way to help some people that may not have even ever heard of them or heard them talked about really badly or you know, don't know anything about them or whatever to be able to get a little bit of an introduction. Well, you're welcome here because you know I'm an Anglican priest, so I'm reformed, but probably in a different sense of, I wouldn't consider myself a pure Calvinist reformed, but I'm we're considered it's there, and the it's there in your it's there in your thirty nine articles. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And so I, I'm open, and and I, I want to hear more about the the creeds, you know. And and really, Doug, another reason why I wanted to go in on this, and I think that, that your book was written at an opportune time, is what I'm seeing, and I'm seeing it really a lot in the fringe circles. Is there's, there's a lot of these little ancient heresies creeping in. To the fringe circles, um, and and uh, I think we need to get back to a little o orthodoxy, and we need to be people need that foundation of, you know, we can say all day long believe the Bible, but the Bible has to be interpreted, and we can't let two thousand years worth of people reading it, interpreting it, just throw out the window, or we'll be a restorationist group, and we don't want to be that, and so I think that this this book is i mean i think it should be read by every christian because they're these creeds and what 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 really you know i was raised southern baptist and so what really interested me is that here is a reformed baptist writing about creeds because i was in the in the in the sbc i was raised oh we don't have we don't have creeds you know we we do <laughs> confessions or statements of faith or whatever so um when you wrote this book what uh did you get any blowback because you're a Reformed Baptist writing about the creeds? Oh, no, not at all. I mean, you know, I took a class on our church holds to the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, and I took a class yeah. many years ago on that. And one of the things that uh, Professor Ranahan pointed out is that 
the creeds are embedded in the confessions of faith. Like really, they spring out of the they spring out of the creeds. So obviously, you have a creed is a very small distilled statement of faith that right. would take up two paragraphs and a huge confession. But nevertheless, those confessions are grounded in the creeds. So the creeds are the foundation of of what it meant to be a Protestant in confessional Christianity, whether you were Lutheran or Calvinist or Anglican, um, it didn't matter. Yeah. Even Catholic and Orthodox to an extent. Um, Well, sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, like, take us through a run, sort of, of of the history of the creeds and different orders and, and, and just kind of a synopsis of your book without giving it all away. I want everybody to read it. I want everybody to buy it. I'm going to post it in the show notes, but, uh, just to kind of give us a run through the different so creeds. So I, I did a uh, I did an introduction um, to kind of explain what creeds I was going to go through, and the main creeds I suppose that people know about are the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. And uh, there there's actually an earlier version of the Apostles' Creed called the Old Roman Symbol. Yeah, I saw that. that I had never yeah. heard of that one. It was new for me. Yeah, that, I mean that was that was fun to go through, and and then I think I dealt a little bit with the Athanasian Creed, which comes after the Nicene Creed. And actually, the Nicene Creed can be broken up into two different periods of time as well: one in the early fourth century, one in the later fourth century. But I basically took those four creeds, and I tried to show how those were actually, you know, one of the big things I wanted to point out is that. The creeds are not made up by men, that what they're doing is they're, first of all, they're, they're taking their language almost entirely exclusively from the scripture. But second of all, uh, the earliest church fathers all had basically forms of these creeds before they were ever formalized by any kind of a church synod or council. So mm. I, I wanted to help people see that like Tertullian and Irenaeus and Ignatius and Cyprian and Novash and all these guys before what we think about is when the creeds came into view, they were all confessing almost exactly the same thing. And this goes back as far as you can possibly go in the church. So oh, yeah, the creeds it's, are, it's in, yeah, it's in, it's in Paul's writings. I mean, Paul has creeds, yeah. right? I mean, you cover yeah, that absolutely. in your epitaphes. Yeah. I wanted to show that, that the scripture itself has creedal language in both testaments. Yeah. And, um, I mean, all, all we're doing in a creed is we're confessing our faith. So when, you know, Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Well, that's a creed. Um, it's a very short one, and it's very uh, focused on who Jesus is, but the Bible has creeds. Um, and so when the early church is, is confessing their faith, essentially what they're doing is they're saying kind of two, two points that are very intimately related, that we got these creeds, um, the language from the scripture, but the, the apostles themselves actually handed these creeds down to us. And so, you know, there, I I think it's probably a bit of a myth how like the apostles creed came to, came to be. The idea is told that each of the 12 apostles contributed one line to the creed. I mean, maybe it's, it's, kind of fun to think that they did that, but I don't have any question at all that the apostles actually did in one way or another convey this to the, you know, the first generation after them, like Timothy and Titus. And then that, that just was something that was passed through every one of the churches that they started. 
um, so that they all had basically the same ideas. And then, you know, as the heresies start coming into the churches, um, the idea of creeds became a little bit more important, especially when it comes to the second person of the Trinity, because most of the heresies were actually focusing on Jesus. Yeah. So, the, you know, you get them a little bit more uh, nuanced or um, trying to explain and put themselves in the context of an Arian heresy or, a you know, whatever the heresy might be on Christ. But all they're doing is just refining what was already there, and they're, they're hardly adding really anything to them at all anyway. Yeah. Hey, Doug, real quick. It's not really a creed, I guess. It's more of a treatise, or maybe some say it may have been used as a catechism. But but what bearing does did the Didache have on the creeds, or kind of the shape of the creeds? Would you say the like it's first or second century document? But I was wondering. Yeah, if that they is. date they date that book. Uh, some people date it actually to as early as like fifty A.D. So oh, wow. Oh wow! Um, I know that others yeah, others wow. will put it into the second century, but it's obviously very old, and and it has you know the the word itself just means the the teaching, the teaching, mm-hmm. and yeah. yeah. So there, uh, whoever wrote that book is very clearly closely associated with the the apostles and mm. and either themselves or the tradition. And there's a little bit of creedal stuff in there, although there's also a lot of kind of church manual stuff in there too. Mm-hmm. It's almost like an early catechism, in my opinion, right? Yeah. In some I ways, mean, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. What, what I liked about when I was reading through the Creed book, what I enjoyed about it is, is I liked how you divided up the different, um, the language that was used for faith. Can you kind of get into that? Like the word credo and then fiduciary and, and all the different Latin words and, and their depth of meaning. It's, it's almost like you, you had... Uh, uh, one, I believe this, and even the devils believe this. Then you took it a further with, with the sensius. Is that what it is? And yeah, then, yeah. And then to fiducia. Can you can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, I actually get this from a book that R.C. Sproul wrote called Faith Alone. And um, he, he breaks that down into the three senses. And then some of the reform guys will break it down a little bit even farther. Like Jonathan Edwards will talk about delight and stuff like that. But the basic idea is that believing faith takes kind of three components. So you need to have, you need to have something there in front of you. So you need to have a knowledge, a noesha. You need to assent to that knowledge. In other words, you need to agree that it's true. Okay. So that's not the same thing as just having knowledge. I mean, I can know something, but not agree with it. Um, right. Once you agree with it though, even that I would, I would argue that that is the point where the demons actually have that kind of belief. So they know Jesus is God and they assent to the truth of it. <laughs> you know, they're like, uh, you're the son of God. Are you here? Have you come here to, um, you know, judges before the appointed time? They know who right. he is. They assent to the yeah. truth. But the yeah. third component, fiducia, is the one that, uh, and you'll see this more when you get into the five sola book. That's really what, um, the reformers were talking about when they were, when they talked about faith alone, that you need to have this, this love, this heart change, this desire. Like I said, with Jonathan Edwards, this delight that what you're assenting to is true, not just true out there, but true for me. Yeah. We call it like a warm heart in our, right. you know, you know like, yeah. And I, I came from the Methodist too, which 
he he said his whole life he was a hair's yeah. breadth from Calvinism, so but he really wasn't. But <laughs> but <laughs> well, his brother was, so I guess he was yeah. close enough through through yeah. his kin. <laughs> yeah, but but uh, yeah, definitely a warm heart is I think crucial, and I think we need all three to have a, a fully complete faith, and that's what I see in the wasteland of different denominations so often is people have different chunks of the truth. They'll have the the knowledge aspect of the faith or they'll assent to it and then they won't have the the uh warm heartedness or they'll have just the warm heartedness and then no background and in the other there's you no know, the truth more, there. Yeah. Yeah. This is where no you get lift. the idea of um a blind faith that so many people yeah. talk about. Just a leap in the dark. Well no it's not. Um, When I believe in Christ, I have very specific things that I'm believing, things that are historical facts, things that happened. You know, those are embedded actually in our creeds when they talk about Pontius Pilate. So I have to actually know some Mm. things about who this guy was, what the claims were, what he did, that that's the knowledge part of it, right? And this is, I mean, this is the point of writing the book on the creeds is that you're trying to convey to people the actual basic knowledge that they need to assent to, and then to um, have a delight in. That's such a good point about Pilate. I always, I can remember, even as a kid, you know, I grew up in a United Methodist church also, and we recited kind of their version, the, the minus hell version of the creed. Um, but yeah, just the mention of Pontius Pilate was always strange to me. I, well, I mentioned him, but yeah, he was a historical figure. That's why. Yeah, that's right. You're rooting... You're rooting it not just in um, mythology, and you could think of mythology in in a positive way. You know, I think a, a lot of our people in our circles are starting to learn that. Out yeah. in my circles, more they're not learning that yet because mythology is still kind of a four letter word that just means fiction and fake and fantasy. But you yeah. know, the, the idea of a myth, a a, a a myth in my mind is a it's really a creation story. So when you're talking about Jesus being born of a virgin. Um, that's a mythological uh, way of speaking in some sense, but as Christians, of course, we believe it's historical. So it's true. We believe in the Virgin Mary, but when you add, like you said, Pilate to it, well, now all of a sudden you actually have somebody that lived and that we know who he was and we know what he did and we know what he was governor over. And, and the claim is that this guy actually put Jesus to death. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it roots these it roots these creeds in in history, like you said. That's important, you know. It, we have to be able to do that. Uh, yeah, instead of it being just like like a lot of the other ones, the Mesopotamian myths and all that kind of stuff. Right. There's really no no true connection to a historical. I mean, there, there's allusions to it, but no clear connection. Like, hey, we have a guy's name, and we know what time he lived in. And, uh, yeah, and some of those myths, they actually talk about virgin birth, right? So yeah. that's why I bring this up, is because in the context of other myth stories, if you just leave it at the virgin birth and you don't put something like Pilate in there, then you could be completely misunderstood. Yeah. Or resurrection. There's sort of resurrection-type narratives, too, in some right, of those myths. Right. Yeah. Well, that, that's why I appreciate Chesterton. Um bringing in the everlasting man, he, he goes to show that, you know, Christianity didn't copy these myths. These myths co- copied Christianity. He was, Christ yep. was the, the realization of all the, he was the true myth, you know. The true myth, and, like Lewis yeah. said, yep. Yep, yep. So, um, 
let's talk a little bit about the the solas and your understanding of the different solas and uh, and and how how do you manage to and this is a this is gonna be a really hard question, but I know you can answer it. How do you manage to 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 keep your faith strongly held and you believe it, but yet still be as open hearted and realize that there are other Christians that disagree with you about that out there and still love them? Wow, that's a tough question. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you do it so well. You've got to have you you. It, it just appears to me you've thought about this. You know that this is something that you think about. I mean, even. Here lately, I've noticed some of your blog posts you're talking about. I was on this station or this TV network, and even though we we disagree with their eschatologies, they're still brothers in Christ, and and I still want to walk alongside them in this march for Christianity. Yeah, and um, and and I'm just going to be frank about this, Doug. There are not many Calvinists like you out there. I don't know what it is. Um, there are some, but there's just not, and. Uh, I listened to Richie Brock, who used to be a sword and staff guy, and they're both, I think, reformed. Him and uh, Josh were both reformed, and he gets a, a lot of flack from some reformed guys just for for kind of being not middle of the road, but kind of you know questioning some of the the, the tenets and how they're put out there. So, anyway, did any of that make sense, Doug? Or no, or, yeah, uh, it makes a lot of sense, and, and it's a huge topic, and. Um, we could probably spend the rest of the time talking about it. Well, we don't want it's, to do it, that, but just give us the synopsis, you know. I mean, <laughs> I'll, I mean, I'll try, but I don't know if I can give you a synopsis because this is the one that I've thought an awful lot about. You guys, yeah, go I for really it. have, and and I've just been go. guilty myself of being the um, cage stage Calvinist. <laughs> so I know what that's like personally on the giving end of it, but I also know what it's like on the receiving end of it, and. um, you know, I just, I, I think that, how do I say this? Well, let me, the, hey, let me caveat something. Let me caveat something first. I am not saying Calvinists are the only people who struggle with this in the body right. of Christ. It's no, every I denomination. Totally yeah. agree. Yep. 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 I've met yep. some yep. cage stage Arminians for sure. There's, there's Absolutely. Yep. Every group has them. <laughs> yep. Yep. If yep. For whatever reason, though, Calvinists are known for it, and it could very well be um, because... They, they claim to know truth in a way that, that a lot of other Christian groups don't get as dogmatic about that. <laughs> okay. And so that makes sense. It, it, yeah. Right? And so if you're claiming something, that the claim itself is already hard enough for people to accept. You know, when you start talking about predestination, for right or for wrong, it just makes a lot of people mad, just the, just the conversation itself. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And so if you then start acting poorly then all you're doing is compounding something that, that is there in what you're talking about that might not necessarily be there in some of the things other people are talking about. So hmm. does that make sense? Yes, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I'm tracking with you. Totally. Yep. So w what what is, I, I mean, I'm trying to get to, like, what is so different about you? I, I mean, my opinion is that you have a very deep relationship with Christ on a personal level, which uh, is downplayed with some Calvinists, but that's downplayed with some Catholics and some Orthodox and some Anglicans sure. and, and sure. all that too. It, it's called pietism and it's like anathema, you know. Right. But right. how can you be a warm-hearted, pietistic Calvinist? Maybe that's not a good 
combination. Well, maybe but you, you here's one way. Here's one of the things that I've thought quite a bit about. So, in Reformed theology, we love to talk about theology proper and stuff like the doctrine of God, um, right? Doctrine right. of salvation. Um, these these kind of things that these doctrines that are more, you know, creedal sorts of things. Yeah. But I've kind of noticed a while ago through some of the things that me and some of my friends in, in our uh, association had, had gone through, that there's a whole set of doctrine that we talk about very um, objectively, but not subjectively, which is really, how does God want us to behave? <laughs> it's <laughs> ethics. It's the law. So we, we have no problem talking about the law and the gospel. You know, you need to give people the law and, and tell them that they've fallen short and they're sinners and all this kind of stuff. But what about internalizing the law? Mm. And for whatever reason, it, maybe this is where the, the pietist side of Calvinism, um, the experiential side of Calvinism uh, comes from, that they're trying to focus on this same kind of an idea. And all I'm trying to do is take that into the, into the broader stream of Christianity because I recognize that the Reformed world is pretty small. <laughs> and the Reformed Baptist world is infinitely smaller than that. Mm, and yeah. God has saved a whole lot of people and we're not saved by knowledge alone. We're not saved by believing in uh, justification. We're saved by Christ, right? So it's not, yeah. we're not, so you can have a lot of wrong things in your theology and still be saved by him. So why in the world can't we act like that towards one another? We're supposed to be brothers in Christ. I hope so. Cause and, I'm sure <laughs> I have a lot of things wrong about theology. I mean, I think we all do, and that's yeah. a, that's that's the thing about it. Reformed people are kind of known for believing that they don't have anything wrong with their theology, but the fact of the matter is, we don't have it all all right either. We yeah. we disagree with each other all the time. Mm. So, it's learning how to act out our the faith that we say that we believe is something that's just incredibly important to me, and it's what I'm trying more and more to do in my public life, I guess. Yeah, well, it's it's coming out, and I'm not trying to flatter you, but it it comes out. I mean, it comes out in your heart and your when the people you work with and, and the people that you you know consider brothers in Christ, and and it's just it's been incredibly and, encouraging to me. So, and let me say one more thing about it too. Uh, my dad likes to he he has this funny statement that it's like, of course I believe I'm right about what I believe because if I believed I was wrong, I would believe something else. Yes. So yes. I'm a reformed person and I believe I'm right. So if that's yes. true, then why would I, 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 why would I do things to deliberately and intentionally make people mad about what I believe? I want them to believe what I believe. Mm. So it seems to me that uh, one of the strongest things we can do in apologetics, and I don't think that this is just with unbelievers, but it's with believers, is that we, if we love them and we show, if we try and show like in, in, in my case, if we try and show the grace <laughs> that I say I believe in to other people, then I would think that that would make what I believe more attractive. Because it, like I said earlier, it's hard enough to try and get people to understand uh, what you think about predestination and free will and stuff like that. But if, right. you, can, if you can take away some of these other things that are, that, that are easy to pick on with the way that Reformed people sometimes behave, and it makes it makes my job a lot easier. I want people to know <laughs> what I believe. <laughs> yeah. So 
I need to, I need to behave in a way that's going to help them to be able to do that. Well, it, it's, it's also a widening of the gospel. It's a gospel of the kingdom and not just a gospel of the cross. And, and you're opening it up to more things than just a, I, I believe the core seed or the core of the gospel is Jesus died and on the third day was risen and, and he ascended into heaven. And I, I think that's crucial. But there's also more to the evangelium, I guess, than just that. And that's what I see you opening up to. It all comes back to that, obviously. I was talking to a Jewish brother this morning. He said, if I had a Jewish Christian, Messianic, and he said, if I had a, a Hamas with a gun pointed at me, he basically said this. He said, uh, I'd take his gun, disarm him, and share the gospel with him. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it, was a, it was a great statement. So I came with this hashtag. It's like, drop the gun, hear the gospel, you know? <laughs> so, but it, it all comes back to the gospel both its wideness and its specificity, in my opinion. And uh, I see that in you. I really do. Uh, uh, and I see that in your ilk. Uh, there are people out there that I've met that, that, are, that are, you know, um, doing good work. And, and I, I'm not trying to demonize Calvinism with this podcast at all. If it's coming across I don't like think that, that, I don't I, think that that's coming across that way at all, Brent. Okay, good, good. Because I, I won't some people out there that think that Calvinism is demonized to, to change their minds. I want them to, to listen. I want them to be open and, and not watch two or three YouTube videos and, and immediately assume, you know, all paint with a broad brush. Uh, I, I just, um, I, I get too much from the body of Christ in general. I mean, I'm looking at four volumes on my shelf written by John Frame. I live 30 minutes from Reformed Theological Seminary, and their <laughs> library is in, their library and their bookstore is one of the most incredible ones uh, yeah, I go to. I, I, have jo- I have Joel Beek's book on Puritan theology, and I'm reading it, and I'm gaining lots from it. Right. You know, right. and I want people to get back to that Renaissance sort of, uh, of being a Renaissance Christian of of you know being able to to read the Catholics, to read the Fathers, to read the Calvinists. And uh, one of my favorite theologians that inspired that in my, when I was in seminary was Thomas Oden. And I really applauded. And, and he kind of did it like a pyramid. He put the Fathers first, and he built it up to the Reformation. And then, you know, like that, as far as uh, how much he put in his theology. But most of his systematic theology is written in a way where just about anybody could probably agree with 80% of it. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I think that's, that's where we are as Christians, is we agree mostly with 80% of what everybody else believes. There's that 20 that we have to overcome. And I think mm-hmm. the, part of, the part of overcoming is to learn to not talk past each other and to talk to each other. Um, yeah. one, of the big thing, one of the big things woke people or liberals do is they, they want to have conversations. Well, I want to have a legit conversation where people really are talking about and stay within the bounds of orthodoxy without going down deconstruction of, you know, what we believe and hear from other people what they believe and uh, come up with some sort of reapproachment. Anyway, that's just my heart. Uh, <laughs> no, I love it. Yeah, well, you it know, was I think really being fun. in a being Go in ahead, a church, no. being in a church for 22 years where I'm not fighting. Um, this stuff has really been helpful 
I, mm. I think about like if you're in a context where, and this is actually one of the one of the reasons why I advocate for confessions of faith and and for um and and the belief that denominations can actually be very very helpful in the body of Christ because right. um you can go to everybody has to go to a local church but you can't all go to the same one so you, you know you have to pick and choose where you're going to go right if you're in a place mm -hmm. where you're just angry all the time because of what's being preached whether you're a calvinist sitting in an arminian church or arminian sitting in a calvinist church you're just going to be fighting and you're going to be fighting on the same kind of three or four things that make you really mad and you're never going to be able to grow in your walk with Christ that way. So mm, that's a good point. It's, it's, it, it can be very helpful for people to be in, um, in a place where they're able to rest when they worship, when they're able to rest, when they're thinking about theology or whatever. But I don't want people to, to just end there. Right. Because right. like I like we've been talking about, the church is bigger than that. And, and there might be things that other traditions that you are not in have that could be helpful for you. And, you know, I, I happen to think that things like the tulip, and I'll put a caveat, caveat on that, rightly understood, <laughs> yeah, yeah. can be very foundational for a person's inner life, their worrying life, uh, th their, their understanding of the kind of God that it is that they worship and so on. It can also be very damaging if it's not, if it's not rightly understood, honestly. Interesting. But, yeah. Um, so it's funny because reformed people are kind of known for their, the, all they ever talk about is the tulip. Well, I've never, I haven't, I've changed my mind in how I understand parts of the tulip, but I've not, I don't give up the five points of Calvinism. I believe them like, like I have for many, many, many years, but I don't yeah. have to talk about them all the time because I'm not fighting that fight anymore. And so that frees me up to be able to go into, into other, other areas. It's like, I'm not always looking at the pipes that are leaking in my basement, I can actually go upstairs and start working on the upper floors of the house that I'm building. <laughs> that's mm. a great analogy. That's a really good analogy. You know, and, and this leads me to another topic I want to swoop into because it's, it's a perfect, what I call the line is open up and the linebacker can run right through. All right. Uh, all right. We don't know what's happening in the future. And, you know, you did your, your recent podcast, which I enjoyed about Revelation and amillennialism and all the different uh, things, which you, you guys out there that listen to podcasts, I highly recommend you go to the YouTube version of this podcast because he has all these really good charts that, that Doug, that you can see. Uh, and, and it really helps you understand the different end times. Did you pull out the old like flannel graph there, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> there's no, there's no, uh, there's no, um, dispensational charts, but <laughs> no Larkin going there. I remember Larkin, no Larkin going yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. Great pictures, awful theology, but anyway, okay. So, um, I shouldn't say that there's probably people out there who believe it, forgive me, but, but, uh, uh, but this goes regardless, like you said, of whether this is the end times. I like how you put that. I don't want us to use end times. I want to say last days. Because we've been in the last days since the book of Acts, okay? So here's my understanding of where I want to go with this. If we are in the last days, we might not be in the last days of the world yet, but we might be in the last days of the United States. So all this we've been talking about, the creeds and ecumenicalness, which I hate that term because the woke people have it's stolen been hijacked, that. hijacked, yeah. Yeah, I know. But you all get my drift. Um, 
Yeah, we were talking about it before the show. We said interfaith. I said, ooh, that's even worse. That, that interfaith <laughs> sounds like interfaith sounds like coexist anyway. But uh, so the the United States begins to fail, or let me say that you know, you know the United States continues to fail, <laughs> and things don't get better; they get worse, and and. It's not the end of the world, eschatology-wise, yet, but it's the end of possibly the world as we've known it. What, you know, we have to be able to get along if we, in some kind of way, have to go underground as the church. And Mm. it's going to take these skills to be able to agree to disagree, but yet work together to be the body of Christ. And uh, so, anyway, that leads right into some of the stuff I want to talk to you about, some of the um, statements you've been making on your Facebook about Q and and what's going on there. And what do you see going on in the world, Doug, if you could talk to us about that? I know you're not a political commentator, but yeah, you really are. So uh, (laughs) you have your opinions. I'd love to hear. So what do you think's going on with all this stuff and how much of it's false flag? How much of it, how much of it's legit? You know, what, what do we believe out there? Okay. So, just for the sake of some of my friends who might might listen to this, I don't know if they will or not. Just when you bring up the whole idea of Q itself, that still makes some people so mad that they can't even they can't even think straight. Yeah, and so it's it, well, they say in it's a, lot a of cult. Ways, they say it's a cult. No, I, I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a cult. I mean, I don't. Yeah, know they anyway. say it's a, well. It's kind of like this. It's it's a lot like um somebody who pits free will against predestination and doesn't understand it. And as soon as you say that God is sovereign, they'd get so mad that they can't, they can't think they can't have a conversation with you. Yeah. They get in their feels. Yep. 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 And that's, that's what's happened for right or for wrong with the whole Q thing. And I think that there are very deep political reasons for this. That's my personal opinion. Right. Um, that it has been attacked viciously, uh, for very good reasons because it's actually true and real. Now, one of the things that you also have to distinguish is actually the, the, um, the drops themselves from the people who are interpreting them. So Q yes. from the Anons. All yes. you hear in the pop culture is, is QAnon. Well, there is no such thing as QAnon. There's right. Q and there's Anons. Anons are the people that interpret Q. Um, and... To me, the, the Anons are as broad a group of people as you find um, in the United States of America. So mm-hmm. you have very normal people that are interpreting it. You have very um, zealous people that are interpreting it. You have complete, total New Agers that are interpreting it. You have people mm-hmm. that are solid evangelical Christians that are interpreting it. And they're not all the same thing. So wow. to lump everything in as just QAnon evil conspiracy cult is, I mean, it's hard to imagine a worse thought stopper than that. But I know people that do it. I have people that are friends that have done it to me. Mm-hmm. And it makes, it makes even bringing up the conversation difficult in the first place. So if you can get past that, then you kind of need to start looking at the objective things of what it told us and what, what, uh, you know, what it claims to be. And, and I think that people really need to, if they're going to, think about world events and you're not taking the Q thing seriously, then you're missing a huge piece of what's very likely happening in our culture. I agree because with that. Because yeah. if, if, it, if it is what it says it is, okay, 
then we actually have information being given to us by the military with its own stated fact that it also is giving disinformation because they're not stupid enough to think the only people reading it are good guys. Right. It's a military operation, right? Yeah, That's what it claims to yeah. be. So you, you yeah. have to take, yeah, it's a psyop. You have to take that seriously. And if you don't, then you're just missing a, a massive component of what's happening. Yeah. So I think, it, it, but it's not just Q. You also have to take some other things that have, that are very strange out there too. And you have to try and make sense of them. And that's what okay. I've been trying to do the last three years. So things like this idea of devolution, um, which is it, basically, it's very related to continuity of government. What happens if your government was taken over and you know it and you're trying to take it back? What kind of legal steps are there? What, what would things look like? Um, what would need to be done by the president? What would need to be done by the military? What can they do? What can't they do? What kinds of things would they need to happen in a population in terms of their, the overall way that they think about things? What, what kinds of things would you need to open up to their minds to help them to see that this has actually been very bad for you when you actually thought it was your best friend? All sorts of things like this are going on behind the scenes, in my opinion, and it helps yeah. to explain an awful lot of why the world seems so completely insane to so many people. We're, we're fighting a war. I don't know how many times I've said that on Facebook. And I'm like, I oh, really yeah. mean this. We're, we're literally in a war and you people need to take this seriously. It's just a different kind of a war than we've, than we've ever seen before. Yeah. I've said it so many times that I've got, I've gotten the language from you. We're in a fifth generation war, you know, war yep. of words. Yeah. It's funny because General Flynn actually wrote a book on fifth generation warfare. And then when you go and look and see what he says about things like Q, it's hilarious because he completely disavows it. And yet here's a guy that I, has a video of him taking the Q oath with his entire family, leading them in it. Hmm. So how do you deal with that? Well, I think it's pretty simple how you deal with that. He's, he's like the master of fifth generation warfare. <laughs> whole hmm. point so is to confuse, confuse people, but to also bring forth your, your main objectives in a way that they will work. And now I'm not saying I agree with everything that these guys are doing because mm -hmm. I, I most certainly, I most certainly don't, but nevertheless, it is what it is. And my job is trying to understand as the best I can. Yeah. Yeah. Doug, I guess that's the biggest problem for a lot of people who have issues with Q is, is just that it, you feel like, well, should I trust this? Forgive me for use of this word, but, but that's how a lot of people see it. Should I trust this cabal over right. another cabal right. kind right. of thing? Right. Yeah, and one of the things that I, I tell people all the time, because I, I'm probably in a minority, even, in, even in, the, in our church, where almost everybody feels free to talk about this kind of stuff. Um, I take a very positive view of Q still, because to me it hasn't shown itself to be untrue. Mm. And, but at the same time, I also take what people are thinking seriously about, is it a disinformation thing for some sort of evil wicked purposes. And my thought is it could, it could very well be. It just mm -hmm. hasn't shown itself to be that yet. You know, if Trump turned out to be the Antichrist, <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> as of right now, he hasn't shown himself to be that in my opinion. And I think there are the things going on that, that makes me think that he's actually um, trying to restore the Republic. But if it turned out to be at some point that he like turned on us or went exactly opposite of what he's saying or, you know, whatever, I'm not going to be surprised because I'm preparing for that.
in my own mm. head. And I think everybody should be doing that because we're living in crazy days and we really we'll don't know. None of us knows what's going on. And the best we can do is kind of have a, a, a coherence theory of truth in, instead of a, a correspondence theory of truth. Because yes. the, what's corresponding to reality is simply not accessible to us at this point. We just, we can't know. Mm. Uh, but we can, create, we can create coherence in our worldview and then um, recognize that that's not enough of a test for truth to actually be truth. But nevertheless, if it, it, at least if it coheres, um, it's a lot better than if it's completely chaotic and contradictory, which is what I think a lot of people have in their worldview of what's happening politically right now. Mm. Yeah, see, this is, this is what I appreciate about you, Doug, is, is that you are, this is what I believe, but I'm willing to be wrong if I'm proven otherwise. And see, that self-awareness is what, is what we need to, to, to calm the vitriol on both sides of all this stuff is an opening, but you know, it's like, uh, we're doing a, I don't know if you've seen it, Doug, but we're doing a series on logical fallacies on our podcast. And we did ad hominem first and we did a uh, straw man and people don't think logically anymore. There, there is, uh, uh, there's just, you give them a keyboard and they don't have to have a brain and they just, you know, they just have fun. And, and I, I like to, I like to see how long it takes for them to evolve into getting in their fields and calling me names. You know, I mean, right. it doesn't take, doesn't take very long and that's not going to fix it. And, and us as Christians, we should not be like the world in that sense. We should be able to have a civil conversation, even disagreeing without getting into our fields, what the kids call it and calling each other names and getting mad and angry and all that kind of stuff. We should be able to say, yeah, Okay, let's explore this issue of, of Q. You know, is 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 it legit? We know some of it's not because of the whole psyop aspect, or is Q a, a possibly another cabal that's com competing for the new world order, or is Q legit? I have a hard time believing Trump's the Antichrist. He, it, too many people hate him for him to bring yeah. the world together. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm not saying I do, but but too many people, yeah. But uh, he wouldn't be the the uh, poster child for being the Antichrist, but. Uh, I don't even know what that looks like. But see, that's why I like listening to you about the amillennial stuff, is you can explore a lot of this kind of stuff without having to get down to a Loctite uh, correspondence system like I think premillennialism has to be, or particularly pre-trib premillennialism, not really historical premillennialism. And, am I making sense? Yeah. yeah. You know, go, you go back to your... Um... What did you say? What did, what, what did you call it? the interfaith thing? The interfaith thing. And yeah. it's funny the way Christians behave, even with non-believers. A good friend of mine, a pastor out in Florida, who, who just, he's like, I don't understand why people get so mad when somebody has a belief that they disagree with. Like, it is what it is. Why are you so mad about it? Getting mad about it isn't going to do anything to change it. And, it. and it doesn't matter if it's something like, amillennial versus premillennial or if it's something like Jesus is God or no, there is no such thing as God because I'm an atheist. It doesn't matter because they believe what they believe. It is an objective fact. And how you respond to that is what's going to make all the difference in the world. Why are people deconstructing their faith? 
Well, I have a feeling that at least one contributing factor to that is because of how Christians behave towards them as yes. they're thinking, as, as they're yes. having a problem with some, something going on in their mind with, with faith. Yes. It's yes. not the only yes. factor. Don't get me wrong. They're right, certainly right. responsible and culpable for doing that themselves, but there are things that we do that contribute to that. And like, yes. you know, just even the, even the thing when I was talking about Q, I mean, this was, this was what I was writing about in the conspiracy theory book. It, it's just trying to, trying, it's kind of, I guess you're kind of right, Brandon. I mean, I've just been more and more convinced that the way that we go about talking about whatever it is that we're talking about, it matters how we do that. It matters how we talk about it. It's yeah. ethics. It's loving yeah. one another. And, you, and I don't have to compromise anything of what I actually believe in order to do that. I don't have to become interfaith in order to love somebody. I yeah. don't have to agree with them in order to love them. Mm -hmm. I don't have to agree with them in order to show love to them. I can completely, totally disagree with them and still act like a human towards them. And this is what, like, there's such a massive disconnect here in our society and in Christianity across the board that it just, it really, really troubles me. It's like, we say we believe in God, but going back to the law again, why in the world don't we believe we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves then? Yeah. Dallas Willard really handles that well in his book, Divine Conspiracy. If you've never read it, I, I, oh, I recommend it. It's an incredible book, but he spends his first few chapters talking about how we as evangelicals in particular have become but the church in general, got, we, we have like gospels of sin management, and that's all we're worried about is our sin and getting rid of our sin instead of a, a, another proactive way of learning to love and worrying about our ethics. And he's not talking about ethics in some kind of social you know, right. justice type thing. He's talking about just a simple loving God and loving others, being peaceful with our neighbors, uh, being kind and considerate, things like that. That, that we don't have in our, in our culture, in our world anymore. And uh, he, he goes through the Beatitudes in a way I've never heard him talk. And, but he tells this story about this guy that went to Harvard, who uh, uh, um, the cleaning lady who cleaned his room, she went to Harvard too, and he would go to the, the test in, in ethics in, in Harvard, and he would make an A on the paper, but then he treated his cleaning lady like she was below him, and she was not, nothing else, and she had like this this disconnect there. And and Dallas Rule was trying to bring into exactly what you're saying. There is a disconnect between our our faith, and I think it goes back to what you were talking about about the heart faith. The heart faith has to happen for the for the uh, good works to flow out of, and that that's really tricky a tricky place to navigate too. I'm, I'm going through your, your Galatians commentary because I'm preaching on Galatians and man, it's been a huge help. And I love how you handle the whole faith and works thing. And I think, yeah, I think that's it. We've missed in this context. We think that doing anything is bad. Anything is a work when, when it's more or less, you know, God is not against effort. He's against merit. And and we've got to get back, that back in the church, the whole, the, the, old, the old hymn, Trust and Obey. And obedience has got to be seen not as a, quote, good work. It's got to be seen as the outflow of the trust. Does that make sense? And, yeah, uh, yeah. And that, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm hearing with, with this, dude. I think that that might be the reapproachment of the way, because I, I, I 
am not a doomsdayer. I've never been. I wasn't a conspiracy theorist probably until right before Trump Trump got elected. And yeah, I take that name with pride now because we've been right more than we've been wrong. <laughs> but yep. <laughs> but, but but I used to make fun of that. I mean, I did. I thought I was too smart to to believe what all these wackos believed and stuff. And and now it's just like I've been red pilled and 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 stuff. But but I guess what I'm trying to say is, is there's something coming. And I don't know if it's on a global scale or if it's on a regional, like a national scale, but something's coming that's going to shake. And, and I don't necessarily think it has to be bad or it's going to end bad, but uh, there's something. And I think it reminds me of the beginning of the Lord of the Rings that you can, you can smell it in the air. You can feel it in the, you know, that... Uh, when yep. Gladriel was saying that, I I think mm-hmm. all Christians are experiencing that. And uh, now, what it is, I don't know. But uh, I, I think God is is working to get a lot of us together who are different and to rally us around Jesus. Anyway, mm-hmm. but I, I think all this is important because this goes back to what we, we were talking about with the creeds. You know, uh, a, a lot of times people say, "Well, let's get the lowest common denominator what we believe." Well, I don't think that's the case. We can all still have, like you said, our beliefs and still be humans and be Christians to one another. And still love one another. Yeah, that yeah, this is a huge point. Um, so many people think that the less you believe, the more unity you can have. I actually take the opposite opinion. I believe that the more you believe, the more unity you can have with people you disagree with. That's it's, unpack it's, that. It's completely paradoxical. Yeah. Enigma. Okay. So <laughs> that's crazy. It, take uh, take free will predestination. As an right. example, and and we'll just, right. you also have to take this on a corporate, not just a, a personal individual level. Right. You're in a church where, um, where you can be both Arminian and Calvinist. Well, the the problem is that there's there are parts of those systems that are simply mutually exclusive, and right. so at whatever places those are, the people that are in those churches are going to be fighting each other about that. They're just they're not going to not be able to do that. It's the inevitability of, of, the, of the differences of opinion, okay? But you're in a church that's trying to tolerate both of them. So what's the inevitability of that? Well, the inevitability of that is something like a church split and people really hating each other. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, what happens if, so that's the view of I don't believe anything sort of thing, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe everything. Well, those are kind of the same things, two, two sides of the same coin. If you don't believe mm-hmm. anything, you're going to fall for anything. Um, but if you believe, if you have a church, for example, that that is hardcore uh, believes in a confession of faith, then you have the freedom, or at least this is the way I try and tell our people in our church, and this is the way that we behave. If you come to my church and you're Arminian, I have no problem with that whatsoever. In fact, I would love for you to learn more about what we believe, and I would love to talk to you about it. And I think that uh, people in our church would love to talk to you about it as well. But you can't come into our church and just start teaching that because we have things that we believe in this church. So mm-hmm. it sets kind of fences and guidelines for people to be able to talk about the things in a, in a context that isn't going to destroy relationships right off the bat. You know what we <laughs> believe. So don't come in here and try to change it. But if mm. you want to talk to us about it and try and understand it, now all of a sudden there's a lot more freedom to do that. With the context of saying that, look, 
we admit that that um, you you believe what you believe, and we believe what we believe. We're not trying to say that these are are compatible ideas, but but you know we're acknowledging the fact that we have d real differences of opinion instead of the opposite, which is really trying to say, well, they're all just saying the same thing anyway. And I don't mm. think they are. So why are no. we acting like that? Yeah. Well, you know, it, to me, it's it's like the difference between sitting at a table to to eat versus sitting at a table and playing cards. If you're playing poker with somebody, you know, the goal is to keep your cards close and you're playing a game and you're trying to win. You don't want church to be like that. You want church to be, we're sitting at the table, we might have different beliefs, but we're all talking, dialoguing, passing the bread, eating the food, and, and having community together. It, it, that's that's kind of how I see it. And if if you have to go to a church and play cards, then you need to find another church. It's just a deceptiveness about that. Yeah, I, I, I think there are re legitimately people out there that will infiltrate churches just to cause disharmony and, sure. and stuff like sure. that. Yeah, sure. So, well, I, I can tell you, having a, the kind of confession of faith that we have, it kind of keeps that stuff away. <laughs> people have, have, sometimes people have asked me, what would you do if uh, you had two, two, uh, a, a gay couple that said they, they want you to marry them? And you know full well that they'll, they'll, they'll try to... Uh, take you, you know, sue you if you don't. So yeah. cut it off at the pass. I said, oh, I'll gladly do that. I just, I, I would require that they go through a thousand hours of marriage counseling with me. <laughs> <laughs> my point in saying this was, th was that um, they're not going to last through my thousand hours. They're going to go somewhere <laughs> else. Oh yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. And that's I mean, my point in, in having a, a church that's robust like that is like, they're just going to give up at some point in time. It's not going to be worth it to them to try and, uh, destroy your church because good luck with that. Well, and two, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if I heard it from you or if I heard it from someone else, but you, you guys recite the creeds in, in your church too, don't you? Yeah. We recite a creed every week. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And take communion pretty often as well. Every week. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's just incredible. I, I just love that. I mean, it's like you, you take the table as serious as the word. And uh, anyway, that's just amazing. So, uh, wow, man, we talked about a lot of stuff. This was a, this was an interesting conversation. I didn't know where it would go, but. Uh, one, one point about the solas, because you brought them up, but we didn't really talk yeah, about them. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, the point, the, the solas, so for those who've never heard of the solas, five solas of the Reformation, the word sola means alone. And so it was kind of a rallying cry, not just of the Reform, but of the entire Reformation. Right. So, hmm. you know, this would include the Anglican, the Church of England. This would include... Um, the Calvinists would include the Lutherans, it would include the Reformed yeah. Baptists, whatever. Yeah. And you know, the rallying cry there is scripture alone. And that's a whole it's a whole uh podcast itself just to talk about that one thing and what it means and what it doesn't mean. But uh, you know, basically the idea is your foundation is is the Bible. And I and it's funny because I've been thinking about this several times in our conversation in, in my chapter on that. I talk about how sola scriptura is really a moral thing. What do you mean a moral thing? I thought it was just a doctrinal head thing. No, it's a moral thing because what is your, what is, what in your heart of hearts, where do you want your theology ultimately to come from? God or yourself? And for me, I want it to come from God. And so 
that doesn't mean that I'm not willing to listen to other people or traditions or, you know, reason or whatever, but it's a, it's a, it's a, how you approach God's word before you ever even get to it. Moral. It's Mm. a moral thing. Just like all these things that we're talking about, they're moral things. How am I going to deal with my brother before I ever start interacting with him, even though I disagree with him? Right. Um, Yeah. And then, and then the other solas are also things that we as Protestants agree with, you know, Christ alone and grace alone and faith alone, and that it's all to God's glory alone. Those are, I I actually wrote that book for a similar reason that I wrote the creeds, because I think that those are things that can be uniting to more, more people than just that are in the reformed world, but also they can be helpful to people that are in the reformed world too. So yeah, I think you've actually kind of hit on something that I guess I've been trying to do and hoping people would see, and I'm glad that at least somebody has seen it. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen it. I mean, I'm not a fan boy, but I am, kind of. And, uh, I mean, I, if you write something, I, I've tried to read it. And the solos is my next one, and I'm going to do more than a skim job, but uh, the Creeds was really good. It does, like, I try to read Tozer's book on Knowledge of the Holy every few years, and uh, and... It, it your your book on the creeds did that to me. It made me worship while I was going through the creeds. I I, I would find my heart like wanting to 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 send to to God and and give Him my heart. And so yeah, I know you didn't intend it to be a devotional type book, but it is definitely. Well, I mean, a I kind of did because they were sermons. So yeah, they yeah. definitely had that aspect to them. I did not take application component of the sermons out of it just because it was a book. Yeah, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. it was it was superb. There was a, a a guy, a friend of mine on Facebook, who is a non-denominational guy, and he said, "Y'all, you guys know any books on the creeds?" And I said, "Yep, I got the perfect one," and I recommended it. And uh, so, yeah, I, I put it out there. I rep represented you because I mean, not just because I know you, but because it's worth it. It's a good book, you know. I'm, I'm going to give it a good review because I got a lot out of it, and. Uh, so and and I want everybody else to to know the other side, which still learn through your podcast coming up. The the other side of the of, of Doug Van Doren, Pastor Doug, that that is very theological and very very warm hearted, you know, and not just about giants. So anyway, <laughs> even though giants are important too, I like how you tie that in with the end times thing too, uh, with the millennial stuff. So, but. Uh, well, thank you so much, Doug, for your yeah, time. Thanks, I mean, Doug. I don't, yeah, it, this was this was incredible as usual, and uh, I can't wait to talk some more about different things. I'm gonna read through the solas, and and one of these days I want to talk to you about just conspiracy theories and stuff like that. I've been really diving in some interesting ones, and <laughs> uh, so, but uh, thank you so much for your time, and we appreciate you very much. Yeah, guys. Yes. Yeah, always a pleasure to have you, Doug. Always fun to be on with you, and thanks for giving me a chance to talk about some things that I don't usually get to talk about on other people's podcasts. Thanks for listening and supporting us, and remember, stay naturally supernatural.